Welcome to Leaving the Promised Land, a podcast where two ex-evangelicals explore their former beliefs, personal experiences, and the Bible to see if the beliefs once held stand up to their current, more modern values. I'm Lyndon, a queer ex-evangelical who laughs at the idea of gender roles. And I'm Taylor, the pro-choice anti-capitalist witch that Pat Robertson warned you about. Well, hello. Welcome back to Leaving the Promised Land. This is episode two, and we're going to begin the journey of unpacking the complexity of white supremacy within toxic Christianity. We'll talk about Christianity's early roots and the ways that white supremacy hides within toxic Christianity. This is part one of a two-part series, and the first of many conversations we'll be having about white supremacy and racism. So, the historical look at colonialism and early Christianity. What you got on that, Lindon? Well, so I've been thinking about this, actually, because, you know, the, the white American understanding of America is that people from Europe came to America to come to a land where they could practice their religion freely. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, yay, hey, Christianity. But what actually was happening is it was the very, it was the Puritan culture. So it wasn't Christianity that we know now. It was a very, very prescriptive extreme religion yeah extreme version of um christianity as a basis so they come to the united states they they arrive they take the land because they know english but and they can communicate and there are they are there with intention slowly begins this process of white people coming through lands that were previously held by brown people Mm -hmm. and slowly systematically saying your belief system is wrong right life is wrong the way you love is wrong the way you raise a family is wrong here's how we do it and we're inherently better right and so when i look at america and christianity and some of the very early roots of Christianity in the United States, I, I have to look at the fact that, that this came, that colonization is something that, that happened and Mm -hmm. in that erased a lot of cultures, beliefs, native tribes, um, in a very active and violent way, whether or not it was perceived by them as active and violent the outcome was um, a discrediting of their family belief systems and heritage and how they, specifically with native tribes, you know, I live in the Pacific Northwest. There are a lot of tribal lands. Uh, My house specifically exists in one of the places where there are four different tribes that kind of connected in this area. Uh, you know, I have the belief that we're all on stolen land. And, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, and as white people who brought this faith and religion um, to save brown people from themselves, um, there's a lot of icky parts in that. You know, like I, yeah. my my understanding of the Native American people when the white Puritan culture arrived to colonize 
was that Indians were painted as very savage beings. Right, very savage, but yeah. There was no love that they, you know, kind of, you know, like just that there was no moral basis for their existence. And and that's that's not true. And then it was this white interpretation of something they didn't understand. And because they created the systems, they were able to lessen those people groups socially, religiously. Right. And so I think that early Christianity has roots in white supremacy inherently in that it, it's coming to rid the world of their other beliefs. It's this concept that I'm white, I'm Christian, you're brown, you're not, I'm, auto, I'm automatically better. That, you know, was prevalent in, you know, Native Americans. Totally. And I think, you know, and religion is such an interesting thing because it's oftentimes um, kind of like we talked about last, in the last episode, how beliefs are passed down generationally. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in, yeah. in beliefs. And, um, you know, when you when you look at the, you know, 1900s and the early 1900s, when they would take Native American children away from their families and put them into schools that were used to integrate into a white canon. Oh. This plays out in, with mm -hmm. Native Americans and, and, and how racism and white supremacy has kind of affected that and so in doing that they removed these children from their languages from their faith mm -hmm. from their generational passing on of tradition and stories and put them in these schools where they were <clears throat> never allowed to speak their native language where they were reprimanded for doing so and and basically told that without this school without what we're doing for you what this awesome thing we're doing for you you can't function in society. You're yeah. not a man. Yeah. So it removed an entire generation from their spiritual ancestors and feeling access to that. And that's damaging. That's yeah. really damaging for humans. I think that's why so many white people um, flock to those DNA tests is because we want a sense of identity and you know I feel like that's our that's that's kind of like you know oh I'm 15% Irish so yeah but you know because because white is just kind of a you know just yeah, I don't know um so yeah the having to articulate what quote-unquote being white means to you is something I don't even know if I could do huh. you know because, like, I identify with the Southern culture, but white has no culture besides monogramming Chevron shit. <laughs> well, in changing my name, I, was, <laughs> I literally was thinking through, and I was like, I'm going to keep my same monogram letters. <laughs> they want to keep their monogram letters. <laughs> um, towels. Um, do your towels. Oh. <laughs> Um, and I it's think important. So important. Um, as a as a white person who has, I mean, I guess Southern is a culture in and of itself, but like 
as a white person who is this mix match of, oh, I'm Irish and Nordic and all these kind of things, not having one specific generational culture, it, I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I wish I had, you know, I wish I had a generational culture like the Native Americans did. And knowing that, you know, white people just basically came in and just destroyed all of those beautiful cultures. It just breaks my heart knowing that all of this was just erased because we're white, we're Christian, we're better. I think this conversation we're hoping to unpack, you know, toxic Christianity and where white supremacy can kind of hide within that because I do think there's a lot of interplay. I think the meme that was shared um, that originally kicked this off so it said, at some point, we as a nation need to sit down and have a serious chat about toxic Christianity and its relationship to patriarchy, white supremacy, and toxic masculinity. And I think that's like, you know, that covers the whole, the, the summering umbrella, summary umbrella of what we're hoping to, to talk about here. And I think this, this conversation right now is the start of a conversation on white supremacy. A long overdue conversation about the church and white supremacy. Yeah, and I think that it's it's more than an hour we'll be able to unpack, you know? Like, this is going to be a lot of conversations continuing as we're moving forward through this podcast, talking about the different nuanced ways. And, and honestly, as this country is coming to a racial awakening and kind of a reckoning with the history of America, I think that opportunities to talk about racism will probably present themselves um, more readily than they maybe have in the past. The, the phrase fevered pitch is, is kind of, you know, the, the racial um, inequalities and the racial tensions are coming to a fevered pitch. Like, just they're at a screaming all-time high right now and you know people are kind of scrambling and you know a lot of people in a lot of companies just don't really know what to fucking do at this point um and I mean it's really not hard don't be a racist asshole but you know like it's it's not that hard but people are scrambling you know trying to figure out how to navigate this Um, like talk okay so I'll bring up the church that we used to go to um a church that is still kind of local to me was in some hot water um recently because the pastor liked some posts that were um what what's the dude's name I can't remember his name Charlie Kirk, Kirk Charlie Kirk liked Charlie Kirk's posts and while the um while the posts themselves weren't um obviously racist if we want to say that you know you know it wasn't like yes hello I'm racist but you know there were absolutely racial undercurrents and Charlie Kirk is kind of known for being a white supremacist and an instigator and yeah and an instigator and I think at this point we all have to you know he's a huge Trump supporter and I think at this point we have to acknowledge that Trump's supporters are members of the KKK and the alt-right. And so you have to acknowledge that Trump is not 
speaking out against those as his supporters. You know, he called them very good people. You can't, and it's like I said, that that whole slippery slope. You cannot um, subscribe to Charlie Kirk's ideology, who supports Trump, who's supported by the KKK, and then go and do something in a Black community and claim it's in love. Those things are not the same. You know, that you should, you should be out of love. You should be removing yourself. You should be moving yourself so far away from any view or indication of racism. You know, and I, I think it's interesting, um, the same pastor from the, the church that was recently in hot water used to teach about boundaries. And when I was there, I was early adulthood. And so learning boundaries was definitely something developmentally that I was doing. And so th- it was there were always good messages. And the question that was always asked, you know, when, when someone states a rule is, well, how far towards that line can I get? Yes. I break the rule. Right. I remember that. And because he talked about, he's like, you're looking the wrong way. Exactly. You're looking the wrong way. The answer is turn around, right. Turn around, go the other way. Why do you even need to be close to that? Yes. And I apply this to racism. Turn around. Go their way. Does it look like it's racist? Do not engage. Like, yeah. We are at a point where the, the only way to get rid of racism in our country is to have zero tolerance of it anywhere. 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 <laughs> especially churches that members of the KKK actually support Donald Trump that unite the right rally there were tons of nazi flags and and confederate flags and all of that so trump support or the kkk the kkk supports donald trump and charlie kirk is a huge fan of donald trump and when you as a pastor like Charlie Kirk's philosophies, it is a it is a waterfall. We have to acknowledge that circle, you know, and to to ignore the relation between all four of those things. I think it, we're doing ourselves a disservice, and I think it's a little a little ignorant. Well, you know, yeah, and and in Trump's last rally in Arizona. It was held at a church. He made several racist jokes, particularly about the current name of the pandemic. And on on multiple occasions, people cheered uh, at racist jokes inside of an evangelical church. So there, it's, it's, it's all interconnected. And I think I, you know, when I got involved in Christianity, it didn't feel so us and them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I continued to stay in it and, you know, I hold beliefs that the right strategically uses the church as a platform to grow support in conservative values. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think that this is a surprising view. 
I hold this view. I think that that the church is is actively a part of propaganda in this administration's plan. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. And for that reason, we can't ignore the connection between the KKK and Charlie Kirk and other people who are using God's name and standing up for, for Trump and his ideals and trying to say that that's noble. Like Trump even said, um, you know, I don't like, I don't want black people touching my money. I want Jewish people touching my money. And like it, you know, I, I, I think that is so blatantly racist. And the fact that people still are like, Trump's not racist. And then he, you know, like, people that worked for him came out and said, um, yeah, we weren't supposed to rent to black people. And then he was in a, um, he was in a court case for redlining. And I feel like just all these, all these things are, are just, it's just evidentiary support that this man is a fucking racist. And I don't know if people just don't care that he's racist or they choose not to acknowledge it. I think all of kind of what we've been talking about falls into, you know, toxic patriotism, this idea of an evangelical patriot. Um, I think like the idea, you know, when I think of American Jesus, I think God, country, family, and like maybe guns in there, but like, Mm-mm. You know, American Jesus is like cut off robe, like AR-15s blazing. That is American Jesus. He's probably got like <laughs> American <hat>. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I love how when I brought up the the concept of toxic patriotism, you were like Taylor. That's called xenophobia. <laughs> <laughs> xenophobia, warrior princess, and I was like, I know, but. <laughs> But I do feel like there is this difference between xenophobia and toxic patriotism. Yeah. I feel like toxic patriotism can, does not always, but can fall under that umbrella of naive racism where, you know, well, America's just better because it's just America. We're just free because we're America. But you don't realize that that, what that means, you know. Um, and there was sorry there's a frederick Douglass quote um where he talks about uh breaking out the quote book i am uh so frederick Douglass in july of 1852 and i think this is time we were recording this the week of fourth of july and so um he says this fourth of july is yours not mine you may rejoice rejoice but i must mourn I am not included with included within the pale of glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and the independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you alone, not by me. And that... He goes on, this was like, it's a pretty well-known speech, and on YouTube you can find James Earl Jones reading it, Um, but he goes on to say, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? 
I answer, a day that reveals to him more than any other day in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty, an unholy license, your national great greatness, swelling vanity, your, sound of re your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him more bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy, a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of the United States at this very hour. It's no difference. That was 1852. That was before the Emancipation Proclamation. This could be read on the 4th of July this year mm -hmm. and still be accurate. Mm -hmm. I think that's so interesting that, that you know, we sell that, um, you know, white people were over there celebrating their quote unquote freedom while, you know, we've got Africans in chains and it just, God, hollow mockery. The, that was, yeah. It's, and, and to me, that always, you know, that always to me thinks, well, here, here we go, scripture, First Corinthians 13, love, um, you know, if, if your heart is not love, that is only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. There mm -hmm. is no melody to it unless it's done in love. And I think a lot of the things that the church right now engages in, especially toxic churches and toxic Christianity, is not rooted in love mm -hmm. and is discordant to the world around it because it is not rooted in love. It, well, you it, can't. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it sounds, you know, like I hear a resounding gong and clanging cymbal. Like that's a visceral mm, dissonant noise. And that that's how you know, from the outside, that's how I view some of these views that toxic Christianity holds of, you know, these are so discordant with what you say you believe. What's wrong? Yes. And that's, that's one thing that I say about uh, when people are talking about, well, what about good cops? And I'm like, yeah, what about them? They need to be the fucking loudest. Like, we need to be so fucking loud against racism that the racists can't think they can't go anywhere they can't go to work you know like we have to be so loud and let them know that it's not okay right and i think like you know in i think the difference between toxic patriotism and xenophobia is i think in toxic patriotism it's celebrating this american idea mm -hmm. That, that isn't actually accurate for everyone. And I think xenophobia, I think you can have both toxic patriotism and be xenophobic because xenophobic is a fear of others. Mm -hmm. It's what we're doing right now in other, other people can't come to our country, you know, prior to the pandemic. Um, immigrants, we're gonna keep them away. We're gonna say no, um, they are bad. You know, as Trump said on, you know, his very first speech, they're rapists. They're murderers. Some, I'm sure, are good people. 
like that is xenophobia that has continued on um another version of that during the pandemic right now is the the racist references to the COVID-19 yeah. and, and and creating that otherness of Asian people or Asian Americans um, in a way that says they're others. And yeah. I think in when you get talking about race, I think, and really in anything, when you're dealing with people, I always like to talk about impact over intent. I can mm -hmm. intend to say something and I can intend to say it with my best intentions and I can say it and it can come out of my mouth and it can land completely differently than mm -hmm. I need it. And those are both okay. Yeah. But when it comes to have continuing those conversations, for me, my rule is if, if the impact of something is discordant with my intent, I default to the comfort of their impact. Right. How, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry that that came across that way. You know, like, I think that we get stuck on, well, I didn't mean it that way. Come on, you know me, that's not what I meant. Yeah. And and that conversation, like, you know me, I'm not racist. Okay, but like, it landed racist. It sounded mm -hmm. racist. It looked racist. Your impact is more important than your intent. Every time when dealing with people, that's my no, that's actually, I've never, I'd never thought about that before. Um, anytime I think that I'm going to say something that might have a different impact, I will usually preface it with, I don't know how this is going to come out, you know, so I, I will usually give myself, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say give myself an out, but give myself a, a sort of, um, but I think that you're having the awareness to realize that it could be perceived differently. Yeah. I think a lot of especially when we're talking about race, a lot of, like, white men in particular have Fuck a white men. <laughs> Sorry. But they, <laughs> uh, they have a harder time attaching to the idea that their impact is different than their intent. Because, you know, the, the quickest and easiest way a, a white man gets out of an awkward conversation or an awkward statement that they said is, oh, I didn't mean it. It was just a joke anyway. <laughs> yeah. And that's not an apology. White men been joking too long. Exactly. They've been joking too long. And that's not an apology. Like, right. um, the chicks uh, have that song, Gaslighter. So the yes. chicks change their names. So now they're the chicks. So the chicks have the song, Gaslighter. And it says, you're sorry, but where's my apology? And I'm like, fuck yes. Like, that is accurate. Like, there's a difference between, like, oh, I'm sorry I did that. And, like, I'm sorry that had impact. Yeah. I did not realize that it would have, you know, like X, Y, Z. Like there's, there's a way to be consciously responsible for your words and still make mistakes. Right. Have you seen Shit's Creek? Oh my God. Sorry. Yes. Okay. So I haven't seen the new season, so don't. I haven't. Um, so good. Okay. Okay. Good. So when Alexis buys the 12 things of milk, and her dad is freaking out and she's like oh my god how many times do i have to apologize and he's like we'll try one and we'll see how it goes right yeah you know like he's like you know maybe just one is fine a local alabama mayor had resigned over receiving some backlash um so if you're not in alabama or if you're not in the southeast you probably you still probably know that Alabama is, um, it, football is our God. 
Um, oh, but like, but Alabama um, and Nick Saban did a commercial for Black Lives Matter. First off, Nick Saban is liberal, which I love. I love the fact that the, the God of the SEC is liberal. And so, and you know, he has a lot of black players and, um, you know, side note, a lot of, a lot of people have been like, Hey, you know, you, uh, you like black people when they're on your football team, you need to like them when they're off the field too. get it together, Alabama, you know, but that commercial came out and mom told me the, the mayor of, um, Carbon Hill uh, he posted a status and said, I've got some, um, I've got some Alabama memorabilia to, uh, for sale or something like that. And he said, it's something about their sorry ass political views. And that's why they're getting out of my house. And because who I, because of who I am as a person, I looked up his Facebook profile and, um, very like front and center. It has on there, um, it says, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm a citizen of the greatest country on earth, the mighty U.S. And, you know, it is that God and country sort of mentality. But he thinks he thinks Nick Saban and Alabama, black people, saying Black Lives Matter is sorry-ass political views. And that just, you know, so it's just this circle of of what the fuck i think in white culture and i think in toxic christianity specifically um there's places that white supremacy hides naive racism it, it doesn't ex- that first word doesn't exclude the fact that it's racism it's still racism it's it, still a part of racism and equally insidious i but we didn't know it was racist yeah. is the point yeah. you know and I think, so, that, yes, so it, it can sometimes hide and sneak up. And I think that we kind of talked about it with the discussion on colonial colonialism and moving in early Christianity. But there's also currently, um, there is a group of people who are proposing that white Jesus and all white iconography be taken down in churches. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's, there's the like, there's the quote, or not the quote, but like another thing that, that went around, but is actually true is there were no white people in the Bible. No. Jesus was not white. Yeah. Jesus was a brown socialist. Yeah. And so I, I agree, like, I do believe that those white icons of Jesus, those paintings, those pictures, those stained glass of of a white Mary carrying the white Jesus. They're like blonde hair, blue eyed. Yeah, that is, that does uphold white supremacy in the church because it's a, it's a complete, it's, it's a literal whitewashing of, of a faith. And, um, so I, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I'd be curious to hear no yeah i i think um it's it's interesting okay so this have you ever seen the movie 21 jump street yes okay they have korean jesus yes okay so i think and like i said this doesn't excuse it so don't i think a lot i think maybe the origins of it were um 
painting Jesus to look like white people so that we connect better with him because we connect better with like like people I guess in a way um but but yeah they're like it and it didn't hit me until I was much older holy shit there were no white people in the bible yeah you know and and so I do think it's interesting um that all of the paintings and stuff like that that you see of of Mary and the last supper and all that they are painfully pale and they are painfully blue-eyed and there was no such thing um in in the bible so my kids still go with their dad to an evangelical church do they they sure do and um i really kind of like i need popcorn (laughs) uh whenever they come so my youngest one is like in love with Jesus, like talks about Jesus all the time. Oh and, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's great until she, like a couple, probably like two months ago, she cornered me in the laundry room. Oh no. And she was like, I need to know what you believe. <gasps> and I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, do you believe in God? And I go, oh, well, there's a lot of different beliefs that people have. And she, and I was like, you know, and each person chooses the one that works best for them. And she goes, but I'm asking, do you believe in God? She was not letting you get off that easy. I was like, dang. So there's always some tension in that. But I always show them a picture of a more historically accurate Jesus. Yeah. And as they get older, like, the oldest one is like, I know you're going to show me the picture of what Jesus actually looked like. I know. (laughs) I know. Um, But early on, there would be some discussion about, no, that's not what Jesus looks like. Jesus looks like daddy. And then we'd have to kind of, like, unpack that a little bit to be like, actually, no. Like, yeah. So back to back to uh, white iconography and good intentions. <laughs> I think when you look at racism, for racism to be a thing, it has to include a, a majority race, a minority race, and the power imbalance that sits there. Mm-hmm. I think in, in the church, a lot of times mission trips can be good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It is just another version of colonialism. Um, we're coming here to bring our God because yours didn't save you. You're not saved. And so we're bringing this. Um, often there's a lot of um, offering aid or guidance, um, that type of thing, like um, mentorship programs. A lot of times people can get in this mindset well, it, it becomes self-pleasing. Um, yeah. It's not well-intentioned. It's I'm, I'm helping these poor children. And without me, their life would be so terrible. Yeah. And it's this belief that, like, black and brown communities need white people. Because, like, they don't. And they've been doing fine. <laughs> they've been doing fine, yeah. And, you know, like, the the church does that that you know the church you look at honduras and guatemala and you look at how mission trips how white judeo-american mission trips changed their worlds completely 
and um you know i'm not saying it's not a it's not appropriate to share your faith that's a personal decision but going out on a missions trip to feel good to take those photos for instagram mm -hmm. to, they were teaching me the whole time <sighs> let me tell I'm... you they were not teaching you they were just living their fucking lives mm. like i think i think it's a lot of um voyeurism <laughs> that happened yeah no I, yeah like uh mission trips become become a way for white people to be voyeurs into the lives of other cultures and other people and it's it, it's not always framed in a way that those people come back and apply it there because if you're going to go to Africa and have missions trips, if you're going to go to other countries and have missions trips, and then you're going to come here and you can't say black lives matter. Right. Then what were you there for to begin with? Like, yeah. What were you only there because it felt good? Because I don't think that's the gospel. Like, no, I don't think that Jesus was um, in support of comfortable Christianity. And I think that mission trips can kind of look that way. I think our intention is to have like a whole episode on mission trips. Yes, yes. There's like, there's there are so many things within that. Um, but in this conversation, I think calling out the power imbalance that happens in outreach efforts of churches um, you know, I think going back to the church in hot water that, that we both know, um, that situation ended up uh, terminating some lease agreements for the church's location, as well as their volunteers' ability to serve um, in the public housing uh, portions of the city. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a really hard lesson for that church to learn. But I think that I... I'm so glad that the city council and that the board of the of Birmingham City Schools really did take into account that their students, that their citizens. It's taking that stand that you have that to take. That racism is not okay. Yeah. And yes, you give a lot, but if your heart is racist, we don't want what you have to give. Um, that's powerful. Well, yeah, and I think there's ways in missions that you can show up. Like I have a friend that does a missions trip um, where they come and provide basic support to a hospital that enables the hospital to now serve hundreds of more people. Right. Because there's help having services done. And then they partner with schools or churches and do things like build a roof so that kids can come back to school so that their classes aren't ruined by rain. Yeah. And those are things that, that they need that are sustainable over time that are providing them a space to claim themselves instead of here's something money can fix, here's something money can fix. Yeah. I think Americans are incredibly uncomfortable with the idea that people live with less than they do mm -hmm. without realizing that it's actually the other way that we live with so much more than the rest of the world. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a mind fuck in the like, 
who should be the pitied one? Because mm. we're all stuck in capitalism, buying all the things to fit in the houses, to get the storage unit that for the things that we care about but no longer fit in the houses of the dead relatives that we never really knew to begin with, like who's which one's more sad? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that Well they say money can't buy happiness. But money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a sea dew. It can. And, a and you can't can't frown on a sea dew. That's a true story. Though when I was a kid, one time we went on a sea dew into the ocean, and I was like 14, so I was like new to the whole period thing. Oh and God. We're like on the ocean, and I had like just gotten my period, and my mom was like, "Oh yeah, you don't have to wear a tampon; just wear a pad. It'll be fine." And so like, your mom said, "What?" I don't. I think maybe I might have been afraid about tampons. Okay, that's fair. Going in the ocean. We will talk about um, Christianity body and sexuality shaming. and body shaming. Oh God. So we go, my dad is like, whatever, we're having fun. And then he flips the sea dew. And then he loses the key. It falls off of his wrist. And so I'm bleeding. Like, I'm, I'm like two periods into this lifelong journey. And... <laughs> I'm convinced because we're like in in the like Panama City Gulf that like sharks sharks are, sharks are gonna show up and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get eaten because I have my fucking period. Meanwhile, the pad is just filling up <laughs> and like itchy because it's salt water. Oh. Um, yeah. So I mean, you can frown on a sea dew. I guess you can. On that one. <laughs> You can frown on a sea dew. Um, oh my god, that sounds horrifying. Um, but yeah, no missions trips and and creating a and it's sort of like um, and this isn't specific. Well, I guess this can be Christianity, but it's sort of like you know America when we go into um, like um, Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and all those kind of places, and we create a vacuum. You know, we go in and we we topple everything, and then um, we pull out and we create a vacuum. A lot of times, Christians and white people do this helping thing with the best intentions, you know, as opposed to um, you know going in and being like, "Hey, you know, um, let's watch a YouTube tutorial on how to topple your fascist regime." you know, we go in, we do it, and then we're like, cool, bye! Right, and then shocked when they asked for support. Yeah, like, what do you mean you know, you need help? I gave you a vaccine and some formula. Right. I don't know are what you else you need. Are you with that? Yeah, are you, un you ungrateful third world country? And there we go. That ties back into the whole way that the, the, that the racism exists in that yeah is if you're not appreciative you're you're instantly ungrateful oh yeah thanks for listening to leaving the promised land part one of two on white supremacy within toxic christianity in part two we'll discuss toxic patriotism xenophobia and how to be an ally subscribe to keep up to date on the most recent episodes like us on facebook and let us know if you have any topic suggestions or ideas for guests thanks for listening and as always but white supremacy. supremacy.